Good morning, City of Hope. Bonjour. Are there any French speakers here today that are courageous enough to say, yes, I actually did study French. I won't put you on the spot. Okay. All right. We've got one French speaker who's not afraid to admit it. I tell you, um, what a blessing it is to be here with you this morning. Um, 20 years ago, it could have been a Sunday morning similar to this, and myself with my wife of 32 years, not at that time, of course, uh, and at that time, our five children, uh, we could have been uh, much like the Waba family, just maybe a little bit, children a little bit older. Our oldest would have been 11, uh, just worshiping with family uh, at Mount Zion. And it's been, my goodness, the time flies. Because when we first began to fellowship uh, with Mount Zion, you know, the Wabas weren't married, the Millers weren't married, um, but my, how time flies, and to just see these families that God is raising up, what an encouragement uh, it is. Always good to see Josiah, and uh, wow, just very pleased to be here, and thanking the Lord that um, he continues to use you all. You know, I don't know what your church background and experience has been over the past 20 years or longer. I grew up in Washington, D.C. My grandfather was the pastor of probably the largest African-American congregation in D.C. when I was growing up, and there'd be like 1,500, 2,000 people every Sunday. Um, Now, where we live in La Chute, uh, I said 1,500 Take the hundred away, and that would be closer. We're, we're more than 15. But, um, you know, just seeing you all, this is totally comfortable for me. And, uh, you know, God works in small numbers. It's not the size uh, that really makes the difference. Uh, but I don't want to just ramble on, but I am very glad to be here. I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in Christ in the province of Quebec. Uh, Some of you have heard what I'm about to say before, so I'll just put you in remembrance. Others might not be aware, but Quebec is the most unreached people group in all of North America. Less than 1% of the 8.5 million Quebecois, French Canadians, uh, are what we understand to be followers of Jesus Christ. And really, that is why uh, we went there some 15 years ago and left this area uh, that was uh, like a stocked fish pond when it comes to black pastors uh, in Washington, D.C. But we've been serving the Lord there, and we are so appreciative of all that you all have done to enable us to continue to serve the Lord there. Your faithful gifts and your prayers Uh, They are what sustain us and enable us to continue the work there. And I just would solicit your prayers all the more. God
problem. Um, yeah, I can't give you reports how uh, the doors are bursting with people coming through saying, what must I do to be saved? But I can tell you this, just last week, uh, you know, our congregation, we're in the 50s or so on, on Sunday, and again, I won't uh, go into all the detail of the history uh, of, of the faith in Quebec, but um, it's really something when you have a visitor come. It's a Roman Catholic uh, uh, province historically, and uh, when you tie that in with the tension, the black and white of Quebec is French and English. This is the real battle, and when I say battle, it is a battle. It's in the news every day. The language, what language will be spoken in the schools, what a, uh, very protecting of their language, very tense. So when you have somebody come in, uh, I will say this, when you have someone walk through the doors uh, at Quebecois, they are basically saying or turning their back on their culture because the Protestant church is the English church, and the English people are the bad people. That's where the tension lies. So when you have 14 visitors like we did last Sunday, that's encouraging. Now, I don't know how many of them will be back today, <laughs> but we thank God for that because every time that we have someone come in, we are trying to put the word of truth before them, to let them know who Christ is, what he came to do. And that's why your prayers are so appreciative. I can tell you after 15 years of ministry, without the prayers of the saints, when you're trying to share the gospel with people that have no uh, background in the gospel, without prayers, I might as well be talking to that brick wall. So please continue to pray for us. Uh, one last thing I'll share before we uh, turn our attention to the scriptures. Uh, we're starting an outreach um, this coming winter. Uh, we've never done a winter outreach. Now, that's significant in as much as six months out of the year, snow is on the ground. We, we kind of figured out what to do with, snow, uh, with summer outreach a long time ago. Um, uh, but this winter, now I'm a lifelong skier, and the Lord just arranged it that way. I live just 45 minutes away from, like, numerous uh, ski uh, uh, I won't call them resorts because they're not resorts there. For the, skiing is not for the rich in Quebec. Everyday people ski um, because snow is on the ground for six or seven months of the year. So we have an outreach that we are trying to uh, get going this year. I've got skis uh, with a little message on the bottom that I got made. Our mission was on board. They, they supplied funds for it. Um, and the ministry, if you will, is called Skips 954, and it stands for Ski, and then Psalm PS 954. And it says, the, the summits of the mountains belong to God. And uh, so I've got patches. If you're interested, just come see me afterwards. I'll show you pictures. And so we're going to uh, go forth with that when we get back and just try to share the gospel with the people that are out there on the slopes. Again, everyday people, uh, not for the rich. So pray for that. Uh, if you will. Um, just you might be interested to know what uh, things look like for us in Quebec during this time of uh, pandemic. Um, and things are just up and down and all around. And you, you just, you know, you just have to stay tuned uh, in terms of how we gather. We look exactly like you do this Sunday, masked when you're seated, um, distancing, um, and that's what it looks like. 
Um, one thing we have in Quebec that I don't think you have here, you can thank the Lord for that, is we have a vaccine passport. And basically, uh, to do just about anything aside from go to the grocery store uh, or to the gas station, you have to have a vaccine passport um, anyway. So pray for us as we navigate those waters, um, and we thank the Lord for that. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to give one preface, um, and I'm hoping that Mr. Waba or Mr. Rankin will be able to uh, corroborate uh, the fact that I went to RTS with Irwin. I was there before Irwin was there. Um, I hope they will be able to corroborate the fact that I really can preach a half-decent expository sermon, because I'm not going to do it today. But, but I know how to do it. But I, I'm not going to try to do that today, but I will be biblical. I can, I can promise you that, and I hope that that is, that is good. Um, now, we're going to read our passage in a moment. And it's found in Mark chapter 4. It's a parable that I know you're familiar with. Um, But before we move to the parable, um, I want to draw your attention to um, one of my favorite chapters in all of the New Testament, Philippians chapter 3. It's very biographical, personal. Paul, who's in prison at the time, and he's not complaining about being in the prison. He's exhorting the believers, and he's talking about the excellency of who Christ is. And halfway through that third chapter, Paul states five words. Five words in the 1984 NIV, where I still preach from. And he says these five words. I want to know him. I want to know him. He wants to know Jesus Christ. He wants to know the one that appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And I want to ask you a question before we actually move to our text this morning. And I want you to answer. Now, you don't have to answer me. You don't have to answer audibly. But I do want you to answer. Kids, you can, you can answer this question, too, because it's a very easy uh, question that I'm going to put before everybody. Um, but here is the condition. You really have to be honest. And I just want to say this. Honesty with your Heavenly Father is a prerequisite to have any type of really fulfilling Christian life. Honesty. Psalm 62.8, one of my favorite psalm uh, passages, it says this, Trust in him at all times, O people, pour out your heart to him. God is a refuge for us. You've got to, at some point or another, be honest with God if you want all of the information that we're so blessed to, to, to partake in the Western world in 2021. If you want all of that information to just kind of trickle down into your actual life, you're going to have to be honest with God about some things. So here's a question I'm going to ask everybody. You don't have to answer me, but I do want you to answer it. And here's a question. Do you want to know him? Do you want to know Jesus Christ? Now, I know 
that when you die, that you don't want to go to hell, you want to go to heaven. That's a very good thing. But that's not the question that I'm asking you at the outset. The question I'm asking is, do you want to know him? Just think on that for a minute. Do you want to know him? Now, why is it even important? Why would I even ask this question? Do you want to know him? I mean, isn't it good enough that you've accepted Christ by faith, repented of your sin, looked to him? Well, let me ask you this question. When you have a cold and you eat something, is the experience enjoyable? I I don't know what you're like, but when I have a cold and I eat something, I can't taste anything at all. And the experience just isn't that enjoyable. Imagine if eating food was always like that. Imagine what it would be like a lifetime of never being able to taste the food, what would happen? Well, you'd probably continue to eat because you know if you don't eat that you're going to kick the bucket. Um, but I think your health would suffer. I think from time to time you'd forget to eat when you should, and I, it, it would kind of be the hunger pains that would remind you that you needed to eat. You'd have no delight in something that God has intended to be an enjoyable experience. Listen, God didn't have to give you taste buds. God didn't have to make mommy's food taste good. He didn't have to make colors. But God made a world with colors and with taste buds and with food that tastes good because God is good. And he wants us to enjoy his creation with moderation. That's the same thing, though. If we do not want to know him, it's, it's essentially like living a spiritual life with no taste buds. I mean, yeah, if we believe that Jesus died for our sins on the cross, we've repented, we placed our faith in him, we're going to be saved. But the journey towards heaven is not going to be all that pleasant. You'll get there on the merits of what Christ has done. But your spiritual health is probably going to suffer if you don't really want to know him. Yes, 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 you're going to have these reminders that I need to be seeking him. But God have mercy if your communion with God has been reduced to a checkbox on your to-doist or whatever your spiritual productivity device might be. I like to-doist. But God have mercy If the only thing that's reminding you, I need to spend time with him and seek him, is that you've got something on your your daily organizer. That's not what God has intended. Peter says, 1 Peter 1, verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And all of that joy is fueled because Hopefully, we have this desire to know him. And as a result of this desire to know him, we're going to seek his face. We're going to seek his face. Now, keep that question in mind as we turn to our text. Do I want to know him? I'm reading from Mark chapter 4. 
Again, it's a parable that I'm sure you're familiar with. And I'm going to begin at verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and they may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it. And bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Let's, let's pray here. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And we don't just say that as a formula. We cannot get to you apart from him, the one who was crucified, whose blood was shed on the cross, that we might be pardoned, that we might be made sons and daughters of you, the most high God. So we come to you this morning, and we want to give thanks to you, Lord, that you've given us your word. We want to thank you, Lord God, that you desire to communicate with every single one of us that's here. You don't just want to give us information that we can file away. You want to transform us such that our light will shine, that the world around us will be transformed as we sow that word and as we live in such a way that people will be compelled to ask, what is it that's different about you? Father, I pray in these few moments, Lord, Uh, before my brothers and sisters, that you would fill me with your spirit and that I could speak words, Lord God, of truth that will encourage, uh, that would convict, and that ultimately, Lord, will prepare us and enable us to live lives that are worthy of you, bearing fruit in every good work. Lord Jesus, it's in your wonderful name that we pray. Amen. The question that I put before you that I hope you ask and that you've come to some type of uh, understanding about you might want to ask yourself that question throughout the week but do I want to know him now <clears throat> what does the parable teach us with respect to 
this question that I sat uh, placed before you this morning. Uh, and we're just going to jump. Again, this is not going to be an exposition of the parable. I really want to just pinpoint something and talk to that this morning. Um, and we're just going to look there at, at verse 18 because Jesus says something here. Jesus says that others like seed among, like seed sown among the thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And Jesus, uh, in speaking such, describes the life that most of us live today. Life among the thorns. If you live in the DMV, that's not what it was called when I was growing up. I, I call it the, the C-V-T-C-Z. Again, T-C-Z. That stands for the crazy zone. I talked to Josue throughout the year. I know he's not, he told me he wasn't going to be here this morning, but we'll talk and he'll share with me about the stresses of work and being a new parent. I say, Josue, man, don't forget you live in the crazy zone. I grew up in Washington, the heart of the crazy zone in this DMV. And you better believe that in one of the most powerful cities in the world where there's so much ambition and, and, and there's so much idolatry. I so much appreciate the prayer of my brother this morning. You live in an area where there, it is just replete with idols. Idols of power. Idols of importance. Idols of this and that and the other. And it's a life that is among the thorns. And Jesus explains that the seed that is sown among the thorns, it takes root and it starts to grow. It's a good thing. Then something happens. And this is the danger that we who believe that the scriptures are the word of God, this is the danger that we face. We start to grow. We taste and see that the Lord is good in these early days of our Christian life. We open up the scriptures and and God is really speaking to us. And our love for Christ begins to flourish. And maybe at one time we really could say right with the Apostle Paul, I want to know him. He goes on and to say, in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. We can say that, but then something happens. What is it? Well, Jesus tells us what it is. He says the thorns choke the word. The thorns choke the word. And that word, um, choke, that we read there in Mark 4, it's really interesting because in Luke chapter 8, you remember the story with the woman with the issue of blood. She's, she's straining to get to Jesus. And the scripture says something. I'm just going to read it. It's just one little verse here in Luke 8.42. And it says this. It says that um, because, uh, well, I'm going to get right there in Luke 52, Luke 8.42. It says, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Verse 45, who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. And the word that's used there, um, 
it's the same word that's used here in our text, this, this pushing in. This pushing in to the point that Jesus is, is just hemmed in. And this is what, what we're, we're, we're dealing with when we talk about the word being choked. It gives us a picture. Just being surrounded by people. And we're being surrounded by cares of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things. I mean, we're so pressed by these things, it's no wonder that, that, that we're not able to say, I want to know him. We're about to die, as it were, of spiritual asphyxiation by the things that are around us. We can barely cry for help, let alone say, I want to know him. So what are the thorns uh, that would choke the very life of Christ out of us? What are the ones that Jesus mentions? Now, you don't need to be a Ph.D. or a theologian to understand uh, what these things are. Um, We have cares about our health, don't we? Especially in this season of life. Now, my dad was a doctor. And I remember growing up, he'd be on the phone talking to his patients, listening, giving them responses. Uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a normal thing that we have concerns about our health. One day you could be feeling fine, uh, but the next day you go to the doctor, he tells you that he found something. Just something. And everything changes. Firstly, you're worried because you don't know if it's what he thinks it might be, then you're worried because the test confirms that it was what he thought. Then you're worried about the course of treatment that's prescribed. And then you're worried, especially if you're in Canada, because you're, it's not like this here, but you're going to have to wait to get that treatment. That's how life is in the healthcare system. And then he can call back, and this literally happened in the past year, he can call back and say, I'm sorry, I was looking at the wrong test. But we have these concerns about our health, and they're, 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 they're serious. But I need to say this. Our health, as serious as it is, it's a care of this life. Because our God is sovereign over our health. I know this is a serious, I told you, my, my, I, I'm quite aware of the, 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 the preciousness of our health. But our health can become a care that chokes the word of God in us. It can be that. Now, listen, I'm going to say something that you know the phrase politically incorrect. I'm going to say something that is evangelically incorrect. And I'm going to use myself as an example. But if the doctor says, Virgil, you have cancer, I'm going to let you know it's going to go out in a newsletter, but I want to say this. I'm not going to become an armchair oncologist. I'm not going to give you weekly updates on my blood count and what's going on. I'm going to listen to my doctor, try and do what he says. But there are eternal issues that are still at play regardless of my health. And I can't let my health snow me under while there's work to be done. When my, do you realize this? That 
our God, our sovereign God, he can speak a word. And whatever that condition is that has you as you are, he can take it away. He can do that. So if my God can do that, maybe he hasn't chosen to do that. But if he can do that, and I know that he can do that, you know what? I cannot let what he is allowed to happen consume me. This care, it's an important one because when you're not feeling well, it's difficult to serve as you'd like to. But I know this is so, like, not correct. But we cannot let even our health hinder what God has called us to do. He's going to make our bodies better in the moment in a twinkling of an eye. He'll speak that word and it'll happen. But what God will not do, he will not speak that word and cause the anxieties that weigh us down to go away because he's told us what to do. He's told us to cast, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. He's told us in Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When he tells you something to do, it's for us to do. He won't bloop things away when he's given us instructions about what to do. And he said again, he's going to give us a peace, but we've got to make up our mind that we won't let even that care of health, which is a serious one, but it's a care. We won't let that hinder us. We have concerns about our jobs. It's a care, this life. Ronnie brought us back to, I I forgot exactly when it was, but yeah, it was around 2015, and Ronnie and I, we'd get on the phone. Every Tuesday morning, we'd get on, and we'd talk, and he was going through uh, career, job, church issues, and, and listen, we would get together and talk, but it was like he was on the precipice it's like we need it because he's like on the precipice of letting the cares of work, of church, these things just snow him under. But God worked awesomely in that situation, didn't he, Ronnie? He, he worked wonderfully in it. But Ronnie had to keep going back to the Lord. And this is the Christian life, too, right? You must learn. You must learn. You must continue to come to God, even with the promises that he has granted us. He says he's going to give us a peace that transcends all understanding. So you say, okay, Lord, this is what's going on. I give it to you. And if you don't have the peace, you know what? You go back to him. Lord, I still don't have the peace. And if you don't have it, you keep going back. God is faithful. He will answer. But you can't just like throw a prayer up in the air. It doesn't come to pass in five minutes and say, oh my goodness, what's happening? That's not how it works. We have foes that are opposed to what God would do in our lives and through us. We must persevere in prayer. But we have concerns about our job, job security, bosses that we do not feel are fair. But it's a care. It's a care. We, we have concerns about, about uh, our, our material possessions. These, these things are legitimate. Maybe your car is broken down or is about to break down. Uh, maybe your refrigerator or dryer septic system isn't working correctly. Or maybe you're like me and it's all happening at the same time. But it's a concern. It's a care. Then we have cares about our marriages, or our families. And these are legitimate. All these things are, they're not frivolous things. 
The ladies say, my husband doesn't love me and he's not following God. Men say, my wife doesn't respect me. She thinks she is God. Children say, mommy and daddy aren't fair. As parents, we're concerned about our children's relationship or lack of relationship with God. They're all legitimate concerns. But at the same time, I tell you that all of these are cares of this life that we are to cast upon the Lord. See, the Lord tells us all these things, especially in marriage, marriage situations. Been married for 32 years. That's a good, good chunk of time. But I knew when I asked my wife to marry me what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, and she knew as well. And Paul said, look, if you get married, you know, you're going to have more concerns than if you were single. But you enter into that knowing that. And again, when things arise, as they do as a couple, you go to God in prayer. When things happen in the lives of your children and they don't thrill you, been there, done that, got the T-shirt, you go as a couple to God. We take these cares and instead of letting them snow us under, we, we go to our knees and call upon our God who's right there to help us in these very real situations. But we don't let them snow and just cover us over. In this world, Jesus said, maybe you'll have tribulation. Isn't that what he said? No. (laughs) In this world, you will have tribulation. But he said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And, And listen, it doesn't matter how close you walk to God. It doesn't matter if you're faithful in keeping your quiet time with God 364 out of 365 days of the year, you're still going to have trials. Cares are still going to be there. Even if you got 365 out of 365. Again, we don't want to re- reduce our relationship to God to this, but you understand what I'm saying. Paul and Timothy had health issues. Aquila and Priscilla Godly couples spoken of in the book of Acts had to start their business all over again when they were forced to leave Rome. Life, in general, can be very difficult for the child of God. But does it follow that our relationship with Christ must suffer because of the reality and the effects of the fall? If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. We're to be more than conquerors through him who loved us. Do the thorns known as the cares of this life have to choke the word of God? Absolutely not. Now, God doesn't promise immediately, as I alluded to earlier, to change all of our circumstances right away. He can, but he may not change any of them. Many believers are waiting for their circumstances to change before they move forward in their relationship with Christ. If that's the case, you ain't moving. If you're waiting for God to work it all out before you start seeking him, you're just not going to seek him because that's not the way it works. The cares of this life, they're tools that God uses to make us what? More like Jesus. More like Jesus. Hebrews 8 tells us that through what Christ suffered, through what he suffered, He learned obedience. The moment you realize that every single trial you are facing 
God is sovereignly allowed to make you more like Christ. That's the moment that your relationship with Jesus takes off. I, I mean, when you internalize this thing, see, you've got to, like, get serious with God. It can't be a thought that's just around there. But the moment you really believe in your heart that everything that God has allowed in your life, he has sovereignly done so that you might be more like Christ, the moment you realize that, that's the moment your relationship with Christ takes off. That's when you can start to really say, I want to know him. James 1, 7, I think this is one of the most difficult verses for Christians to actually live out. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's one of the most difficult verses to live out, to consider it pure joy. But that's what the scripture exhorts us to do. And to the extent that we're complaining about the cares or being consumed by them, as opposed to considering it pure joy, I got to say this. We're just not living in obedience to what God exhorts us to do. I don't like trials. I don't seek them. But when they come to mind, by God's grace, I try to call to mind. Okay, you said consider it pure joy. Show me how to do it. Let's go. Try to call to mind what Peter says when he said that these trials have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. I try to call to mind what Paul said when he said to the Thessalonians, and everything gives thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know what? As we seek to keep these admonitions in mind and to do them, it really works. God does give us peace. God does give us comfort. He does give us an alternate perspective. Going through the cares, the trials, it's not easy, but God's grace, it really is sufficient. And if you've not known it to be sufficient, the only thing we can say is, I guess I'm really not approaching this in the way that God says. Because he says that his grace is sufficient for us. And if we'll heed what he tells us to do, the cares of this life will not choke out the word. But instead, there'll be avenues whereby we can grow. Now, What's the next thorn that Jesus talks about? Talked about the cares of this life. Then he moves on and he talks about the deceitfulness of wealth. A dear brother in the Lord uh, that God used to uh, get our family to Quebec. His name is Shalonji Cote. He just lost his wife a month ago. But when we first went to Quebec, we worked alongside Shalanghi, and he had a congregation that was just growing by leaps and bounds. Now, what was interesting about this growth uh, was that it came as a result of a successful young businessman. He had an organization, 
around him, and he would invite his friends, his co-workers, his employees to come, and God was blessing him, and uh, people would come. People would come. And I remember uh, in those days, uh, he made a profession of faith. Uh, he and his wife were baptized. Uh, it was a wonderful uh, time in that church. Um, but time went on, and um, his business started to falter. And uh, eventually, what happened was that all of the people that he had brought into that church, when his business started to falter, he and his walk started to falter as well. And all those people that had come in uh, had come, uh, ended up leaving as well. Now, this isn't really surprising. Um, And it's not surprising because, in retrospect, it's obvious for this young man that the wealthy lifestyle, material possessions, comfort, this was something that was important to him. Uh, in a similar way that for the rich young ruler, uh, listen, it's, 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 it's so similar. The rich young ruler, all of these commandments I've kept from my youth, he tells Jesus. And Jesus is like, okay, but there's one thing you lack. And Jesus put his finger on that. And it's the same thing in the life of this young man. As long as this young man, his, his possessions and the life was going well, um, the relationship with Jesus was sustained. But like the rich young ruler, when his possessions, when this started to falter, his faith faltered as well. Problem is not that he had riches. The problem is that riches had him. That's what the problem was. So, Again, Jesus says that, that one of these thorns, the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth. Again, you might not really take these things uh, into account, but, but we are some of the most wealthy people of all time in, in this area in which we live and in the time in which we live. And you probably say, well, I'm not, you know, you think of Jeff Bezos and all these. No, 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 no. You're, you're, you're like really wealthy in the grand scheme of things. But Jesus says that the deceitfulness of wealth. And see, don't think being a millionaire. Just think of just like comfort. Think of these types of things because this is how it gets us. The deceitfulness of having all that you think you might need. It can come in and choke the word. So what do we do? What do we do? Scripture says, cast but a glance at riches. They'll sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. But what do we do to avoid this? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6 how to avoid this trap. He says in 1 Timothy 6, beginning at verse 1, he says, uh, actually, we won't go at 1. We'll do at 3. Where shall I start? Paul says this, command those of verse 17 who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. 
Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So to avoid this thorn, the deceitfulness of wealth, what are we supposed to do? In one word, give. 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 There's so many uh, uh, needs that we can uh, use the riches that God has entrusted to us in order to meet. If you need any suggestions, I know of a missionary family. No, I'm just I do, have, I do have suggestions ourselves aside. But no, seriously, to avoid this care, this thorn of the deceitfulness of wealth, give regularly, give generously. Proverbs says one man uh, 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 gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly yet comes to poverty. We want to give generously. And when we do that, we will avoid this trap, this thorn this thorn that would come in and choke out the word of God. Now, the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and then he comes and Jesus says, the desire for other things, it comes in and chokes the word. Now, all the things that we've mentioned uh, up until this moment, uh, the things that Jesus has spoken of, they're not sinful of themselves. Trials, they're just trials. Wealth is not sinful in and of itself. However, when we're seeking to become wealthy or we're placing our trust in wealth, it becomes sinful. Jesus isn't talking about sinful things here. He's talking about the misplaced priorities in our lives. And he tells us elsewhere what? You know this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Matthew 6.33, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now listen, Jesus is not content to be on our list of priorities. He's not content to be number five. He's not content to be number three. He's not even content to be number two. He desires and is worthy to be not only number one, but to be our only desire. He should be the priority list. I want to know him. What things were gained to me, those I count lost for Christ, he says earlier. But I want to know him. Jesus is worthy to be the only thing on our list. And when he's the only thing on our list, do you know what? Everything else will find its proper place. Everything else will work itself out. Your vocation, your family, your health. All these things will find their proper place as Christ becomes our priority list. Listen, it's not because we don't read our Bibles that we can't say with Paul, I want to know him. It's not because we don't pray that we can't say with Paul, I want to know him. It's because there's so many other things that are more important to us than seeking Christ that we can't say, I want to know him. I know you pray. I know you read your Bible. That's not the issue. It's just all the other stuff that, that, that's so important to you, but that you might not really want to admit. That's what hinders. When I was a young man, I had a desire and a goal to be a guitarist. My mom, she was a a professor, 
in, 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 in D.C., music professor, and I grew up with music, and I just loved playing the guitar, and I would practice hours on end, and, and uh, that's what I, I really wanted to do. Um, I'd accumulated a large collection of records. Anybody remember what records are? Anyway, I had this huge collection of, of guitarists that I loved to listen to. Um, and one day, the Lord showed me that the guitar was kind of more important to, to, to me than he was. And I, I'm going to tell you how this, th- th- this came to me because I was really wanting to know God more. And I was trying to seek him. And I, I remember coming into my, my dorm room. My wife and I, we met the, at the University of Pennsylvania. And I walked into my dorm room one day in this time, a uh, young man seeking the Lord. And I looked around. It's just like guitar stuff all around. And it's like, what is this profiting me in seeking to know the Lord? And I just remember going, just taking all of these records. And I was just like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to burn them or do something. It's just like, just throw them away. Just throw them away. Forget all the drama. I put them in a black garbage can and lived in a high-rise uh, in downtown Philly. Just threw them there. You know, I, I'm not making this up. It was not a month later that God just revealed himself to me in such a wonderful way that I never could have imagined it. There was something else that was just blocking and the Lord in his, if you start to seek God, you know, he's going to show you. He, he's, listen, he wants you to know him and to delight in him. He's not going to just like, no, I'm not going to reveal myself to you. So if you start to seek him, he's going to show you, hey, all right, what about this? And it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. C- can you like, like release things to him that are not like sinful, but that he's just like, I really want you to let that go. That's so hard for us. Like, okay, sinful stuff. I get it. But but can you do that? Can God put his finger on that thing that's not a sin and say, I want you to lay that aside. And can you do it for the sake of knowing him more? He does that. God, God is a jealous God. And if you want to be able to say with Paul, "I I want to know him from the depths of your heart, you might need to, for a season, maybe for the rest of your life, just put something aside. Doesn't mean it's sinful. But God, your Lord, he says, that's in the way. <clears throat> if you have desires which exceed your desire to know Christ, again, God is a jealous God. He wants to be the most important thing in our life. And you know what? He's absolutely worthy of it. It's a song I, I've been hearing. I don't know where my, my daughter Nianza, she she. she plays songs, and I hear him, and I don't know if it's C.C. Wine and someone, but it goes, you were worthy of it all. You were worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. You were worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. He's worthy of it. He's worthy of our all. 
Romans 5, 8 says this, God demonstrates his love towards us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While I was a young man growing up in Washington, D.C., in church every Sunday from before I was born, but just living my life as I wanted to, God pardoned me. When I was dead, my transgressions and sins, Ephesians 2, 1, that you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, Like the rest, we were by nature objects of God's wrath. But God forgave us. He's worthy. 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He's worthy of being everything. There's nothing that we should not be willing to surrender to him. Okay. Jesus said, the seed that is sown among the thorns, he says, the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things comes in and chokes the word. Now, if you realize, I don't want you to raise your hand, but if, if any of that rang a bell, you're like, uh, yeah. What are you supposed to do when you realize this? Well, the first thing, and we're going to come to a time of confession here, The first thing we need to do is we need to confess and just repent. Nothing else can be said. We need to confess. Lord, there's things. They're not bad, but I've let them. They've taken on more importance than they should. I'm more excited about this than about you. I'm more excited about this than spending time interceding. And calling upon you and and learning of you in your word. This thing has become too important to me. It's in my mind all the time. And you're just kind of my to-doist, God. We need to just confess it to God. That's the start. And we need to repent. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Again, it might be something that's perfectly fine for somebody else. But for you, it's choking the life of Christ, which is evidence because you can't really say, I want to know you. I I delight to know you. You can't say it from the bottom of your heart and mean it. You want to know him, but there's other things that really just kind of get you more excited than knowing Christ. But again, we confess, we repent. And again, this is something that we must do God is not going to force you to want to know him. He's told us what it is that we need to do. That is for us to do. He's redeemed us. Now it's for us by faith. The Christian life is is a good deal of experimentation, if you will, not about doctrinally what we believe, but I mean to know him. What did did he tell the disciples? Did he say, okay, listen, listen. I'm going to lay out a plan for you for the next three years of your life. Here's how it's going to look. Monday through Friday, we're going to be in Capernaum. And then on the weekends, we're going to go. No, he said, follow me. And you know what? They did. And the world has never been the same. Do you think that maybe God just like wants you to follow him by faith as well in 2021 in the greater DMV to like trust in him a little bit? And well, but if I do this, then it's just like, yeah, just, just do it. Trust me. People have been trusting me for 2,000 years. You, you'll be okay. You think maybe God just wants you to just like in 2022 to just like, I, I'm going to try something different. 
instead I, and when I on 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 Monday through whatever instead of doing this thing that I normally do that really is not really feeding the life of Christ in me I'm going to lay that aside and I'm going to I might like memorize one hymn a month I, I might try to like you know Lord memorize one verse a month I, I might try to sp- spend like 30 minutes a day. I, I, I might try and do something to reach out to someone. I'm going to try to do something, Lord, to follow you in 2022 that I've not done up until this point because I do want to know you. And I want this Christian life to be something more than just a to-doist Christian life. I want to be filled with your spirit. I want my life to make a difference. You're coming soon, Lord. Shake me out of this living in this crazy zone in the DMV that I might really live a life that will have eternal significance and importance, Lord God. Come and transform me. Maybe in 2022, God's calling you to do something a little bit different. And the promise that I close with before we look to the time of confession, it's one of the most precious promises that I know in the word of God. James chapter 4. This is like money in the bank promise. Draw, this is King James language, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Man, I love that. I'm sorry. I love this promise because it's just like there is nothing. When I take a step by God's grace towards him that I might know him, you know what? He's going to take two, three, four, five, six closer to me. I just take one little itty bitty step to know him more and he's going to be taken way more that I might know him. He delights to do that. Man, that's a promise you can take to the bank. And I'm praying that with 2022 around the corner that you will start to even now reflect on steps that you can take such that the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things, they will not choke that word. L- listen, we, we it's easy to live a a evangelical Christian life in this country doing some checkbox stuff, but that's not going to give you a joy in knowing the creator, the sustainer, and your redeemer. It will not do it. You'll be able to check your boxes, but you're not going to be able to say with joy. You're going to be, again, living this spiritual life void of taste buds. And that's not what God desires. Heavenly Father, help us, forgive us, Lord God. We've been satisfied with lesser things, trinkets, good things that you've given, but we've been satisfied and not, Lord God, delighted in you as we ought. Oh, Lord God, in 2022, we want to shed, Lord God, all of the the to-doist Christian mentality And, Lord, to just long to know you and to take steps of faith, even, Lord God, as the first disciples did. You didn't tell them how it was all going to work out, but they trusted you. And, Lord God, they were filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Lord, may all those that are gathered here that honestly right now are not living with your joy uh, 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 flowing from them like rivers of living water. Lord Jesus. Won't you grant them this grace to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, to lay aside things that are clogging the spiritual arteries, Lord God, that, 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 that they might know you and delight in you, Lord. Get glory and honor, Lord, in these last days through City of Hope, Jesus, as only you can. Amen.